Hey guys, David Reeves here. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Hope you enjoy. And remember, you can catch a new episode every Wednesday at noon central on all your streaming devices. Most of these podcasts have visuals, so if you want to see the entire video, check them out at creationsuperstore.com. They're available on DVD or digital download. All right, let's get to it. Let's visit with a college professor and learn powerful proofs of biblical truth today on Wonders Without Number. Welcome to Wonders Without Number. I'm your host, David Reeves. Today we want to inform and inspire you on the wonders all around us, an infinite number of wonders that point us back to Christ. You know, today there are many atheists who say that they have done away with the need for God, that somehow they've been able to explain everything from a naturalistic perspective. In reality, they've built their own pantheon of gods. Let's take a look at this week's Heavens Declare. The intellectual atheist claims that he's done away with the need for God. But in reality, he's created for himself this pantheon of his own gods. The three supreme deities being the God of natural selection, the God of time, and the God of spontaneous generation. Now, when he's questioned how an amoeba could, say, turn into an ape or a molecule into a man, he invokes his first God. Well, Mother Nature selects, and natural selection along with mutations will just bring about this change, he might confidently reply. When he's questioned why we've never seen this transformation from one kind of a creature into another, he invokes his second God. Just Give it enough time, he claims, and time will somehow work its magic. When he's questioned how life first began, he places his faith in the supernatural God of spontaneous generation. You see, eons ago, life suddenly and accidentally popped into existence from inanimate matter and chemicals. But the more questions that arise, he attempts to patch each unobservable phenomenon of his theory with this God of the Gap solution, building out a pantheon of supernatural deities and invoking miracles based not on laws, physics, or scientific principles, but on faith. A faith that seems to be clung to with the fervor and even religiosity of the most devout evangelist. An unquestioned faith in his beliefs that when challenged is met with hatred, disdain, and pompous arrogance. And this set of principles that he believes by faith and clings to so reverently is only a temple or a shrine to his gods built on a foundation of sand, as long as it remains unchallenged, as long as the wind doesn't pick up, as long as the waters don't rise. The structure will be kept intact. But as sure as the night cycles today, the wind does work its course and the tide causes the waters to rise. 
And every question leveled at the beliefs of the intellectual atheist causes the sand to disintegrate one grain at a time until the weakened structure topples to the ground. You know, his unfaltering blind faith in miraculous gods of nature is, dare I say it, his religion. Where do you place your faith? I'm David Reeves. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. And now let's meet my guest. Dr. John Whitmore received his PhD from Loma Linda University and teaches geology at Cedarville University. He has done so much in the field research and we appreciate the research that he does. So at this time, join with me in welcoming him. How are you doing? Hi, doing well, David. Thank you for having me. It is great to have you in studio today. Thank you for being here and participating in trying to get this information out. You know, there are so many people who have questions mm -hmm. about science. They have questions about how it fits with a biblical worldview, right? Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who have said, couldn't we compromise? just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Couldn't we try to stick in evolutionary comp uh, concepts mm -hmm. into uh, a biblical worldview? What do you say with that? I really uh, resonate with that. I was a Christian when I went to study geology at Kent State University. And when I got there, I, you know, in the freshman program, I was learning about radioactive dating. I was learning about the age of the earth and evolution and things like that. And I really hadn't taken the time at that point to, to open my Bible and say, hey, wait a minute, this is what Genesis says. And you'd think I would have done that, but I didn't. Really didn't feel I needed to in my geology classes. But the thing that really made me think about it was an English class of all things. Hmm. In that freshman year, I took an English class. Uh, it was an honors English class, and we had the same professor all year long. It was a small class, so we read. and and discussed a lot of different things. And second semester, we had a, a large term paper that was due and the professor let us choose the book that we were gonna read. Okay. And The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin was on that list. And I thought, well, I'm I wanna be a paleontologist, so I better read The Origin at some point. Oh, wow. And it was at that time that I began to really struggle with these issues. I, I couldn't figure out how what I was learning in geology and what I had read in the origin fit together with scripture, and I did this. Mm -hmm. I tried to make the two mesh together. Mm -hmm. I tried to make it so that I could believe both evolution and Genesis. And the problem was that after I turned that paper in and, and suggested some ideas of you know the days of creation being millions of years long or something like that, I was really uncomfortable with it. And the reason I was so uncomfortable is because I knew that's what Scripture did not say. Scripture did not say that. Mm -hmm. And here I had twisted it to, to make it conform with the science I was being taught. Wow. And that's very common today within mm -hmm. church, that mm -hmm. churches around the country, around the world, that, yeah. that people are, are trying to say, well, scientists, are brilliant mm -hmm. when it comes to science. Right. And all scientists are telling us that the universe is billions of years old, right? This mm -hmm. is what they're thinking, mm -hmm. right? They're saying, well, our pastor is telling us that the Bible is true and, and he's reading these things to us. Uh, and they, they're not exactly compatible, but surely when it comes to science, the scientists know better. 
Right. So we've got to figure out some way to make it fit, even mm -hmm. if we have to grind the gears, right? Right. And, and I mean, that's very common today. Mm -hmm. So we completely understand, and it's, it's amazing to hear your perspective that this was part of your experience mm -hmm. and journey. So, so what, what did you do? So I began to read, I began to ask some questions, I began to search and, and think about things, and, and it, uh, answers did not come quickly. Okay. But as I uh, took further and additional geology classes, and as I began to read more and investigate more, I began to realize that, hey, scripture might be true after all. Mm. And I was a paleontologist, so I'd been collecting fossils and studying fossils and so on. And I think one of the things that was most impactful to me was that I realized a lot of these fossils I, were, I was finding were marine fossils. And these were on the continent, you know, far away from where an ocean was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And as I, you know, continued looking at other rocks uh, further west in, in Ohio and other places, I realized that the continents are covered with marine rocks. They're mm -hmm. not covered with terrestrial rocks. And I think that was one of the really eye-opening experiences for me is that, hey, wait a minute. You know, the, the continents are covered with marine layers. Yes. And that's what Genesis seems to indicate during Noah's flood, that the waters came up and covered the continents. Right. So in other words, it wasn't just some local Mesopotamian flood. That's right. It, it uh, you know, scripture says and indicates very clearly, I think, that the flood was a worldwide flood. It says that all the high mountains were covered. It says that the ark was necessary because everything outside the ark uh, perished. And so, um, you know, as you go to scripture, I, I don't think you can escape the universality of the flood and what's, uh, what's, what's shown there in Genesis uh, 7, 8, and 9. You, you've brought some information today which, yeah. which shows some of the things that were impactful for you. Right. In rocks and in fossils and in the biblical record mm -hmm. that, that helped garner an understanding of, That's right. of what it was actually saying, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, one of the things I didn't do, but I think that we all need to do is just go back to Scripture. And he says, in six days, the Lord's made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and don't miss that little word, all, oh, that is in them. And he did that in six days. Wow. And uh, so, you know, I, I needed to go back to the Scripture and realize that Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't long ago, according to the genealogies in Scripture. And so we really need to look back in Scripture to the Old Testament, but we also need to go to the New Testament as well. Okay. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us that in the last days, uh, there's going to be scoffers that come and scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they are going to criticize two things. In verse 5, they will say that the creation didn't mm -hmm. happen. And in verse 6, they will say that the flood didn't happen. Wow. And so Peter kind of gives us insight into to what would have been the future of Peter Peter's days. And this is true right now. Uh, there are many people who scoff at Scripture and scoff at the creation and scoff at the flood. And uh, so that's one thing I didn't do was go back to Scripture and I didn't do until later. And I wished I would have done it very early on and tried to understand exactly what the Scripture said. But I trusted my science professors first. Yes. Wow. Okay. So, of course, there's many people today that um, still try 
to put the scriptures and evolution together. And here's two recent attempts to do that. Here's a book about the Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon Monument to the Old Earth. Mm -hmm. And then another new book on understanding scientific theories of origins. Mm -hmm. And both of these books are, are authored by evolutionists or even people who are not Christians are, are some of the authors on these. Mm -hmm. And both of these books try to uh, take science and then take scripture and put those things together. And what they ultimately do is, I think, do damage to the Word of God because they, they try to twist the Word of God or try to make it say something different than what it really says. So when they get to the flood, they uh, try to make it so that the flood is, is not a worldwide flood. Hmm. And, you know, that that is not what scripture teaches over and over again in the flood account, uh, all, everything, every, uh, terms like that are used over and over and over in the flood account. And they say, well, if it means, you know, not all in one other place in scripture, then we can justify it not meaning that in Genesis. And, you know, that, that wasn't the intent of the author, I believe. And it seems to be clear. Context makes things clear. Yeah. yeah. How many times have you been to Grand Canyon? I've been to the Grand Canyon dozens of times. I've, I've lost track. I, I do research out there, and, and uh, I'm out there usually three or four times a year. Hmm. So. And, and I've read some of these books, and of course some of them are geared towards Christians That's explaining right. away the things that we see at the Grand Canyon that really appear to be water lane sediment as a result of a catastrophic flood That's right. in a naturalistic view. Yeah. And there's no reason to do that. The, the millions and billions of years are not labels on the rocks. The millions and billions of years are interpretations That's of the data. That's correct. Tell me just a little bit very quickly about Lyell and his impact, not only on geology, but actually on biology as well. Yes, yeah, Sir Charles Lyell, he kind of wrote the book that kicked off the science of geology in 1830 and it was called Principles of Geology. And that book uh, was really an argument against the flood. It was an argument for uh, long periods of time, even though he didn't know how old the earth was at that time, he did argue for eons and eons of time. Hmm. And it, it uh, kind of set the stage for Charles Darwin, who as a young man took Principles of Geology with him uh, on his voyage around the world as a young man. Wait, so you're saying that Darwin didn't come up with the idea of eons of time for biological evolution to take place. He was borrowing the idea from Lyell. That's right, Lyell and others uh, were trying to establish the fact that the earth was much older than what scripture allowed for. Even Charles Darwin's grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, mm -hmm. he, he used to have a big sign that he put on the side of his carriage that says everything from shells, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Everything <laughs> comes from shells. And Charles Darwin comes along with Lyell's book in his hand, reading about eons of geological time. And he says, well, if, if millions and millions of years have passed, well then why couldn't animals and species just adapt and develop into entirely different yeah. types of animals right. if we have millions of years? Why not? Right. Why not give yeah. it a shot? So this is not a minor issue. This, this whole idea of geological time, the whole idea that the Grand Canyon or any of these other features uh, weren't formed as a result of a catastrophic process related to the flood of Noah's day, it's not a side issue because no. it actually connects directly to the idea that you and I are nothing more than 
animals mm -hmm. that we have no purpose in life whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think what we need to do as scientists, and especially as Christian scientists, is understand what the Word says and go and, and read it and see what it clearly says, not to uh, contort it or twist it, but find out what it says. And then we need to do our science well and see what the rocks say, see what the fossils say, and, and see if there's some uh, patterns that we can draw. Take us through three different examples. Yeah, so as a, as a young geologist, I was beginning to learn about the geological time scale. I, I was taught that there was a Precambrian uh, time, that there was a Paleozoic time, a Mesozoic time, and a Cenozoic time. And these are rock layers that we typically see in the Earth. And so where I live in Ohio, uh, we mostly see Paleozoic rocks. As we go out to the Grand Canyon and look down in, we see Paleozoic at the top and Precambrian down at the bottom. Hmm. And we try to, to, to fit that into a biblical view of things, but I was getting taught an evolutionary view of things uh, as, a, as a young man at Kent. And I was taught that the Earth was about four and a half billion years old or so, and that the, these things had uh, come about over long periods of time. And my struggle was, was trying to take that and put that into a biblical view. Hmm. And that, that was really difficult for me. So I'm gonna take you through three points that, that deal with uh, this period of time right in here, the, the, the place between the Precambrian and the, and the Paleozoic. Okay. And here are the three points that I wanna talk about. Uh -huh. The Great Unconformity, uh, the Cambrian Transgression, and the Cambrian Explosion. And the arrows kinda show uh, where those, where those place. places happen, okay. yeah, where they happen in the rock layers. And so the first thing is the Great Unconformity. And this is something that I was learning as a, as a geologist at Kent, that there's this erosional surface that happens between rock layers. And you can see this really well in the Grand Canyon. And I began to realize that this is not just local to Grand Canyon or in South Dakota where I'd seen it, or there's places in Wisconsin or throughout the Rockies. But this is global. Wow. Uh, this great unconformity, this erosional surface happens worldwide. Wow. And then on top of that, there's all these marine rock layers on top of it. And I realized that scripture was true when it says that all of the fountains of the great deep had burst open and waters came on top of the continents. Hmm. Geologically, that would have made an erosional surface. And yes. then you would have found marine rock layers on top of that. And so things began to make a little bit, bit of sense to me as I began to think more carefully about the scriptures. So in other words, you, it appears that you may have had basement rock or mm -hmm. original creation material, mm -hmm. and then the very next thing you find on top of all of that is an erosional surface That's right. with a bunch of layers of sediment that was pushed in, right. burying all of these different animals, yeah. turning them into fossils. And you begin to, to find fossils and other things uh, right on top of that. So this is what a typical continent looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, the yellow line there representing the great unconformity. And then on top of that, you have this thin layer of marine rocks. And that's where we live today. We live in all these marine rocks uh, mm -hmm. here in Tennessee. Yeah. We have marine rocks around us. And, yes. and most everywhere in the continent, uh, you can find this. Okay. So here's a close-up picture of the great unconformity in Grand Canyon. And here are some of the rocks that we think were made during the creation week can see this erosional surface. Wow. And then right up above, you find rock layers with marine fossils in them. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. I have been in areas of the Grand Canyon where you can, as in the photo, you could touch the two. Yeah. Like there's this little space, and That's with right. just a few fingers, you yeah. can touch an area 
which many secularists believe Spans represents a billion years, billion yeah. years of mis yeah. missing time. That's right. And so the, uh, the first thing was the great unconformity. And the second thing that I was realizing is that the rocks sitting on top of the unconformity represented what we call a transgression. Now, most people hear transgression and they think of a sin. <laughs> yes. Uh, to a geologist, the transgression is an increase in sea level. Okay. And so here's what happens. Uh, notice the ocean level in this picture mm -hmm. and notice the ocean level in that picture. Okay. And in this picture, we have sand close to the shore. Mm -hmm. A little bit deeper, we have mud. And a little bit deeper, we have lime. Mm -hmm. Now, if sea level goes up, those set packages of sediment kind of go along with oh, sea level. Okay. And so you can see how the, the various packages of sediment are moving to the right. Yes. And see that little white box mm -hmm. over there by you, David? Mm -hmm. If you take a vertical section through there, you see the blue rock on top, ah, yep. the gray rock in the middle, and the yellow rock below. And that's a sequence of lime and shale and sand. Okay. And if you're taught as a young geologist, if you see that sequence, that means that sea level is getting higher, that water depth is increasing. Mm -hmm. And what would we expect if the flood story was true? <laughs> uh, we would expect uh, there to be a no ocean on the continent. Increase. That's right. And then there would be a great increase. And what do we see in the Grand Canyon? Oh, As wow. we go down to the Grand Canyon, here's that great unconformity, uh -huh. and we find this, a sandstone on top of that, uh -huh. and then a shale with mud in it, and then the limestone on top of that. And this is the classic example that I was taught as a geology student at Kent yeah. uh, of a transgression. And I realized this transgression is right on top of the great unconformity. Wow. You know, what better evidence could we expect of the flood? And, and these rocks are marine rocks on top of the continent. And the whole section of rocks that you see there on top of the unconformity, yeah. those are marine rocks on top of the continent. Wow. Now that's pretty powerful evidence, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. And so these were just two of the things as a young geologist that I was beginning to realize and mm -hmm. really made me take a second look at scripture and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, what am I missing? Uh-huh. Then there's one more thing, and that's going to happen right there within the Tapete Sandstone. And here is how the Tapete Sandstone extends. It's not only in the Grand Canyon, which is down here, but it extends all the way across the continent. And this, uh, this map was made by a student of mine, but it shows places where the sandstone like that is, shows up in North America. Whoa. And okay. a similar rock shows up in other continents as well. So this sandstone sits right on top of the Great Unconformity. Okay. And something else happens in the sandstone called the Cambrian Explosion. Okay. And when you say Cambrian explosion to a biologist, they know immediately what this is, is because that's where life just explodes in the fossil record, all different kinds of life. And so here's our Precambrian down here to a evolutionist. This is an enormous amount of time, but all of a sudden you get to where the Cambrian is and it actually represents a small percentage of Earth history, but you have no fossils down here and all of a sudden fossils just explode. So you have uh, things like the arthropods, uh, mm -hmm. trilobites, snails, mm -hmm. brachiopods, corals, echinoderms, vertebrates, where wow. we have fish. Okay. And all these things are showing up in those Cambrian rocks. So we don't see this pattern of evolution that Charles Darwin uh, suggested. Instead, we see um, all, these, all these various types of fossils. Okay. And there's no transition that happens uh, from the rocks below to these fossils. These fossils all of a sudden show up immediately. That's, that's not evolution. 
Yeah. That Sudden appearance. appears to be <laughs> things getting buried rapidly yeah. in a catastrophe. Fully formed creatures being right. buried rapidly in a catastrophe. Yeah. And so as Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of Species, he realized this problem. Okay. Many people don't know it, but I think that Charles Darwin was a very good scientist because a good scientist will recognize various pitfalls or various problems or, or different ways that his theory could be falsified. Mm -hmm. And Charles Darwin knew this problem. Wow. He knew that the sudden explosion of life in these rocks would, would create a problem uh, for his theory. You can read that in The Origin of Species. Yes, and so many people say, oh, you're quote mining, right? Read it for yourself. Yeah. If you, haven't, if you have not read The Origin of Species, go out and read it for yourself. Because he will, yes, he will say, listen, I don't understand this. And sometimes we'll devote the next entire chapter yeah. to trying to work around yeah. his yeah. problem. And he, he has never a whole comes chapter a on this problem. Yeah. And he thought that the geological record was imperfect. Yes. And uh, we, uh, looking at the rock record, uh, it looks like things have been pretty well preserved in the rock record. Hmm. And uh, for example, um, Darwin said, uh, if we look at these trilobites right here, it'd be a really problem, real problem for my theory if all these trilobite species showed up at once. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? You go to the Cambrian rocks mm -hmm. and you look at the trilobite species. Mm -hmm. uh, there are over 160 trilobite species Whoa. that show up in the Cambrian. And Darwin's idea was that you get one trilobite somehow, somewhere, mm -hmm. and that trilobite then evolves into all of these other species very slowly. Mm-hmm. And instead of this picture of slow evolution over long periods of time, bang, right now, everything you get lots of trilobites and all these species. other things. Yeah, and all these other different phyla as well. Including every major body type. Yes, and those are including vertebrates. Uh, vertebrate fish show up with all these other things. Everything exploded into existence almost like God said, let there be. Yeah. Wow. And so this was really impactful to me as a, a young geologist. Um, the, the Great Unconformity, uh, the Cambrian uh, explosion, explosion that we see, and then finally all this is taking place in this marine transgression that covers the whole continent. And as I went back and read Genesis, I'm like, you know, what was I thinking? It's right <laughs> here in the Word of God. So amazing. In 30 seconds, conclude for us. Bottom line. What would you tell people? Yeah, so the bottom line, I think, is to, to go back to Scripture and don't be afraid if it says something that's difficult to believe or hard to believe. Try to understand what it says and then go out and take a look at the rocks and find out what the rocks really say. And this can work with difficult problems like radioactive dating or with the Coconino sandstone or with a lot of other things. As creationists, as we've begun to tackle these things, we find out that there's some really amazing things there and things that support the Word of God. Three very in-depth things, all very much related to each other, and yet all of them testify powerfully to the truth of God's Word. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being You're here. You're welcome. I hope you'll join us on our next episode of Wonders Without Number. I'm David Reeves, and until next time, I want you to keep looking up. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of the TV show Creation in the 21st Century on TVN and the Heavens Declare video series. 
Each week we talk about breaking discoveries in science which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Engage with other like-minded believers through the Creation Club. This website offers thousands of articles written by scores of authors in multiple languages. Sign up to get our free monthly magazine delivered to your door. Want more? Genesis Science Network is our free 24-7 TV network, reaching millions of people around the world on internet, Roku, Fire TV, and mobile devices. Shop over a thousand books and videos on the Creation Superstore, the world's largest origins-related store. Visit our Wonders of Creation Center and sign up for email updates to have encouraging articles sent straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible.